Hi everyone, my name's Johnny Scott and I'd like to welcome you to Phoenix On Demand, or POD as we like to call it. This is the 25th in our series of podcasts where we will look to help educate and hopefully entertain you on all things IT. So as we all have no doubt seen, cyber attacks are on the rise and unfortunately even more so during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So how do you ensure a breach doesn't bring your organisation down? We recently ran a survey in partnership with the Public Sector Executive, Dell Technologies and Bournemouth Christchurch and Poole Council to try to understand the challenges faced when it comes to securing data and ensuring that the correct systems and processes are in place to keep you, your data and your organisation protected. So to look at the results in more detail and see how we can address the challenges faced, we're joined on this episode of POD by Tracy Hannon-Jones, a security consultant of Phoenix, Gary Burton, sales director for local government at Dell Technologies, and Sonia Matteo, director and data protection and cyber resilience at Dell. So guys, how is everybody doing? Thank you all for joining me on POD. Is everyone okay? All good, thank you. Good, good. Glad to have you all with us. So can we start by giving our listeners a bit of background on you, your experience within the industry and your current roles within your respective organisations? So if we start with you, Sonia. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so Sonia Matthew, I'll correct you on the the, the pronunciation apologies, of the last name. <laughs> okay. It's commonly done. That's absolutely fine. It's French Canadian, so it can be quite confusing. Uh, Sonia Matthew, I have the pleasure of leading the sales team for um, cyber resilience and data protection here at Dell Technologies in the UK. Um, so I'm relatively new to this role. So I've been in this role for the last four months. Um, prior to that, I was a global uh, client executive for a large oil and gas company um, from Dell at Dell Technologies. And um, my focus with them was around their cyber resilience program, which is what led me to the new role. So I've been at Dell Technologies for uh, going on seven years now, and um, I've been in the IT industry for 15. Great. Glad to have you with us, Sonia. And uh, Tracy, over to you next, please. Yeah, thank, again, thanks for having me. So I'm Tracy Hannon-Jones. I'm one of the cybersecurity uh, governance risk and compliance consultants here at Phoenix. Uh, gosh, where do I start? I'm ISO certified across a, a wide range of standards from uh, information security, business continuity, uh, evidential weighting, and a whole raft of others in between. Um, I'm also a certifying body auditor across all of those standards. I'm uh, EU GDPR, DPO certified, and deliver. Um, I, I sort of work across that that whole spectrum, really. Great. Thanks, Tracy. I'm sure your skill set will come in handy today um, when discussing this topic. <laughs> and Gary, over to you. Hi, thanks, Jonathan. Um, really good to be here. Thank you for the invite. Um, it's a very topical thing that um, we're very focused on at Dell Technologies. So, um, my, so my role is the Regional Sales Director for Local Government and Police at Dell Technologies. Um, I've had over 15 years experience working in partnership with public sector entities and the majority of this time it's been with local government and the you know my knowledge has been gained from within various organizations whether that be small special suppliers um to where i am today in a global supplier so but my focus and what my team do is ensuring that the dell technologies messaging and solutions are apl applicable um to our local government customers um and what we're taking to our customers is relevant and 
it's ensuring that we adapt as a business to what our customers are challenged with on a daily basis. So um, this topic is highly relevant at this particular moment in time. Um, and yeah, good to be a part of this today. So thank you. Thanks for the introductions, everybody. Um, I'll now just ask some questions. I'll go straight into it. I'll ask them to the floor. So feel free to, to dive in and discuss any of the points raised by me or anybody else. So first of all, what are we seeing as the main challenges that organizations are facing in light of the increased, increased number of cyber attacks? So one of the biggest things that we're seeing is if you think about it, right, the threat landscape has expanded incredibly. So we have went from working in a very secure office type environment and maybe some of the time working remotely or working from home um, to everybody working everywhere, regardless of what industry you're in. And, and that it, that chaos that has been created from, um, from what we're going through this year um, has definitely opened up an opportunity for, um, for bad actors, right, to exploit that and to get in. So I think one of the biggest things that we have seen is um, you know, organizations have come to the conclusion that they can't keep all of the bad guys out. So how are they going to actually, um, you know, build an environment that sh in, the in, the, in the event that they are compromised, they can recover to a minimum viable company um, and return to operations as soon as possible? So it's so it's almost uh, uh, not if, but when when you're attacked Absolutely. on you and what you're going to do at that point. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. It's been a huge mind shift, right? You can build all the walls that you want, but to protect from a zero day attack um, in the environment that we're in, where we can't, you know, secure every single employee, it just it it it's introduced a lot of risk, and I think it's it's changed the the mind shift. I, I certainly echo that, and I think that you know if you look at sort of things like November, like October alone, you know there were some 117 reported security incidents to the ICO. You know some some sort of 18.4 million records were, were breached, um, and and I don't think we're out of the woods yet. So as Sonia's rightly alluded to, you know the whole um, sort of precipice of of moving from you know this 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 environment where we suddenly had to go online and working anywhere we're not out of the woods yet we've got brexit about to hit us in the uk you've got uk gdpr that's going to sort of really start talking about data and understanding what we're doing with that um so i think you know there's a lot of work to go yet absolutely and i mean sometimes it's even just the simple things right if you think about the fact that we're in lockdown right now in the uk right so we're not allowed to leave we shouldn't leave unless it's absolutely necessary. Well, you think about the vulnerabilities that introduces where people, you know, when we first went into lockdown, they had to postpone regular patch updates, right? Like nobody knew what to do. Everybody was in a panic mode. And it's those simple things that that sometimes, you know, protect us. And and I think we've been in a vulnerable state and we've not been able to do all of check all the boxes. It's more been survival mode or taking things day by day. You know, we, we spend, uh, as sort of industry experts, we spend a lifetime talking about, you know, the events of a business continuity or a ransomware breach or a data breach. And actually, we, we had to test our mettle. And, and certainly what we're finding is talking to clients is that many weren't even prepared for this. Um, and some still aren't. You know, it was a very much a reactive stance rather than that proactivity side. There was some work done by um, somebody last year that we worked with, with our our uh, CISO aligned to public sector and that out of that came that just 13% of councils actually hold a standalone cyber insurance policy um, and it's and it's how are they prepared for the financial deficit that is actually caused by a cyber attack because if you look at the 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 the, the very well publicized um, attacks over the last six months it's caused um, 
phenomenal um, financial pain to a council. Um, so it's looking at that aspect of it as well. How do they actually look at this and recover from it and prepare themselves for that? That, you know, that recovery is not necessarily just the technology spend. And as you say, you know, the cyber insurance piece, it, it's, you know, it's the incident response plan. It's about your people. It's about the processes that you have behind it. Yes, very yeah. much so. I think the mindset has had to shift as well. A lot of people thought, do you know what? We're just going to take the risk um, that it's not going to happen to me. And if it does, I'll pay the ransomware. But if you look at the new legislation coming into the U.S., right, that's not going to be allowed anymore. So so people really have to think about how would I react to this? And, and you know, how am I going to recover my data if I'm not able to to pay the bad guys for this? So, and, and that's, I think, having everybody kind of go back to the drawing board to go, oh, actually, you know, we need to move this up on our agenda. Yeah, I think one of the key things about paying the bad guys, certainly in, in sort of UK public sector, is don't engage in that um, activity anyway, because as soon as you yeah. do, you just send that market economy. So it shifts yeah. dynam- dynamically what lots of people were thinking. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I mean, the, the bad guys are big business now, right? These are not a couple of, um, you know, teenagers in the basement um, that are really savvy on computers. These are big organizations that collaborate and invest in research and development together um, to be able to run their business. So it, it's getting more and more sophisticated. And, you know, the people who are paying it are funding that. Yeah, yeah. And certainly yeah. The, I think the economy out of the back of that is greater than the good guys trying to protect everything. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, we've we've undertaken this this marvelous piece of work with the with the survey that we've done um, out to our public sector customers, um, and we'll attach a, a copy of that survey to the to the web page of the podcast for any of the listeners um, that want to take a look at that. So, guys, what results from the survey did you find interesting or indeed worrying? From the survey, fifty eight percent of the respondents had not conducted an audit on their BCP plan within the last twelve months, um, with nineteen percent. Never. Um, that is worrying from a you know, you know from a perspective of local government and the services that they provide to um, our citizens is is imperative that they keep going. So they need to test those plans. And you know, it, the challenge for me for our local government customers is is the time and the people and the resources that they allocate to their BCP plan is probably not commensurate with the outcome of what would come of being breached. Yeah, I'd certainly, I, I'd certainly echo that as well, that, that that was a shocker for me, that two thirds, you know, don't conduct tabletop exercises. Um, so so although, you know, people will sort of say, well, we've done a business continuity because we had to invoke it for COVID-19. Actually, there's nothing else to sort of demonstrate other areas and other uh, applications of risk. And it's about rolling it not out, not just around business continuity and disaster recovery, but actually how does that reflect back onto an organization's risk um, in line with its obligations and, and objectives? So I guess from, from my perspective, I was quite surprised to see that 13% don't know where their data is located. And I think if you look at the split between on-prem and cloud, Outside of that, it's around 50-50. And I think a lot of people are just starting to learn and be educated on the fact that th- that data, regardless of where it sits, is still your responsibility, right? You're still accountable for that data, especially if it's confidential data. So so that to me was um, quite surprising. I, I agree, yeah. Sonia. I think, you know, in, in my day job at Phoenix, you know, I talk a lot with our customers around security and advising around security, whether that be on premise or, or in the cloud. And and I think there is still a, a perception out there that if, if your data is in the cloud, then it's secure. And uh, yeah. that's, you know, the, the, the cloud provider's responsibility. But actually, you know, every public cloud 
provider on the planet has a shared responsibility model. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting to see that you know not many not not a, a, a huge amount of our customers are, are fully aware of that yeah and, and the cost associated with it right so it, yeah. it, it's absolutely it's definitely an, an education process the interesting one as well off sort of off the back of sort of sonia's comment is is that you know a quarter of people have no data classification policy you know when you start talking again about gdpr you know subject access requests having to archive data backup strategies you know all of that in the event of a breach you're absolutely stuffed Great guys. So thanks, thanks for that. So with Tracy, you referred to sort of classifications and and policies there. With the right policies and classifications in place, are there any storage and security challenges that come along with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's as I say, it's it's about you know the data, the types of data that you hold. It's the governance, it's the legislation that sits behind that. So it's not just a case of oh, you know, are we back, backing it up? Do we, you know, do we encrypt it? Do we archive it? Some of the some of the breach um, incidents that that we certainly you know talk to to people around have seen where their backups have been encrypted. There's no decryption keys, but actually they don't even know what data they've got. Um, it's not classified. And when you start talking about, you know, migrating and digitizing services to so things like, uh, you know, collaborative services like SharePoints or, you know, other, other services, if you don't know what data you've got, how do you even begin to put controls around that, access controls and a whole lot of other things? Just to build off of what Tracy said, I think, you know, there was a mad rush and a mad panic to move data um, into the cloud and to really become digital, right? So uh, me, for example, I, I had to renew my visa from the um, my Canadian visa to, to live in the UK. And, and obviously with everything happening, it was impossible to get an appointment. We were going through lockdown. And so what happened was um, they developed an app to be able to do that so I could do my biometrics from home. Now, I can guarantee you that was probably not in the plans to do it within this year. And a lot of companies are going through that. How do I serve my customers, right, when everybody's in lockdown? And then I think it everybody's taking a step back now to go, oh, did I do that right, right? Did I put the right security controls in place? Do I have to reevaluate how that's done because it was done in a rush? And you're just weighing risk versus reward. And sometimes, you know, you're, you're missing some of this critical steps that you need, but it's survival. Absolutely. It, it, it's it's quite a daunting task for anybody who's kind of looking at this from their particular organization to say, you know, where, where do I start? And, you know, where, where do people start? You know, what's, you know, who's responsible for this in an organization and what's the process to get this, you know, the, all this reviewed and, and a proper strategy in place? I mean, I think, I think everybody is responsible, but you need to have, you know, um, from my perspective, you almost have to need to have the architecture team starting to look at that, right? And and sometimes it's the really simple things that you want to start with, like, you know, how do you recover your active directory in the event that, you know, you can't access any of your data or your backups or recovery or and you've been completely brought down. So it's 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 taking a step back out of the business. And it's not always necessarily the things that you think that you would want to protect to be able to recover in something like that. So it's very much working with your ecosystem, right, to help drive out what are people protecting, why are they protecting it, because it might not be what you initially think it is. 
I'll probably come at a slightly different angle. So something like ISO 22301, which is around business continuity, talks initially, um, so there's lots of things in there, but it talks around leadership um, and sort of top down having responsibility and accountability for succinct business continuity and disaster recovery plans. So as much as, you know, IT will do best endeavour and, and, and sort of guidelines through, I think senior leadership have to own this from an organisational perspective and be, certainly be at the table when you're doing things like tabletop exercise. Do you think there's enough accountability on senior leaders, Tracy, at the moment when it comes to things like this? No, I think it's easy just to point the finger in, inwardly at uh, IT or, or sort of, you know, IT suppliers and say, well, it's your bag. You know, I'm busy doing something else. And, and it, it hasn't. It has to roll up into leadership and exec boards as part of business, business objectives. It's fundamental that if you lose your data, if you are breached, you know, the financial losses, the brand reputational risks, you know, that there's a whole raft of those um, are, are, you know, it, it impacts everybody. But ultimately, directors are liable for, for prosecution. See, I'm seeing very differently, actually, Tracy. So I think from a, maybe from a DR and a business continuity perspective, but when we look at cyber resilience, I'm actually seeing that being driven from the top. So um, what I've seen over the last, I'd say, 12 months um, is that going in to try to have this conversation prior to that, um, to maybe the people on the ground, it was, you know, almost feeling the feeling of, don't tell me my baby's ugly. We've got the secure, you know, the security in place. There's nothing that you need to worry about. Whereas, you know, you saw some of these big compromised attacks in these businesses being, you know, their reputation and their brand image being compromised. And that's when the CEOs um, and the senior executives were getting involved. I actually find the conversation a lot easier to have at that level. It's how that then filters down and getting everybody on the same page about it. I, I find it a little bit more challenging. So you, you made a good point there, Sonia, that, you know, organizations at a senior level will will take note of things as and when they're breached or something bad happens. How do we change that to be a more proactive approach? I, I think it's happening. So I, I'm seeing okay. a, a much more proactive um, view on this. So if I look at, you know, having this conversation, you know, six to 12 months ago, it was very, very difficult. Whereas now I'm getting, um, you know, program overviews from customers saying it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this is going to happen, right? Which is a complete shift in mindset um, from what we've seen previously. That is a huge shift. Yeah, Jonathan, I can add to that as well, because it, it's something that, you know, we're starting to have a lot more conversations with um, senior leadership within the council about what the effects of a data breach actually means to them um, personally and on the wider aspect. And they are actually starting to come to us around that to understand it further of what we can actually provide to them. Because it, 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 I'll go with Sonia, there seems to be that shift that, you know, it, it's not simply just a function of IT anymore. Is it, you know, the the data is imperative to a council being able to function so if that doesn't happen we you know there's some severe issues that we have to deal with and, and it's gone up the chain rather than down the chain to where who actually takes the focus on this and the lead on it as well that's where we see our conversations happening 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting interesting view, Gary. Thank you, thank you for that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to something that we we referenced earlier in in the cloud. Um, you know, where does the cloud fit into all of this? Because we mentioned that a lot of organisations are moving data into the cloud. Um, they're not perhaps you know aware of you know the the correct procedures and security that they need to have in place when doing so. But but wh where does cloud fit into all this? Is, you know, is is it is it truly an advantage to you know the modern the modern organization um or is it presenting more challenges than 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 maybe we perhaps first thought i think it depends right it depends on what you are trying to leverage the cloud for i think there is a lot of innovation and a lot of great services um that can help customers like you know advance their business um which is great right or if you if there are um if there's some unpredictability in what you're trying to do so i think it just depends on the organization and i don't think it's a blanket statement for anything um there's this misconception that you know the cost to serve um is less if you're in the public cloud versus on-prem which we know and customers know now that's just simply not true um, and then the security wraps around it right which the cl public cloud has advanced significantly it, but it's a matter of the, that costs money, right? That's not how things start. So it, it depends. And then if you look at how a lot of the data and the analytics that have to be done needs to be done at the edge now. So that opens up a whole different conversation because, you know, you it costs a lot of money to send data back and forth to do the analytics. You've got to do it close to where those decisions need to be made. So I think the, the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? And you just have to you have to work to understand what you're trying to achieve and then where the best place is it for you to do that. Yeah, I can add that as well. You know, I, I, our view is, you know, cloud will definitely have its part to play, but it's it's not one size fits all across all industries. So, you know, you have to have that data classification policy to look at what applications and what data you have and what is the most appropriate platform for, for where that needs to be to sit and to be served. So if you don't have an understanding of that, moving to the cloud is essentially irrelevant because you're not doing what you, you it's utilised for. So you need to have that understanding of what your data is, where it best fits. Um, but cloud will have a part to play, definitely. Absolutely. I think, you know, I've got a good example of a customer I was speaking to the other day. Um, you know, when when public cloud and, and and the hyperscalers brought these products to market everybody came out with with a kind of cloud cloud first strategy um mm -hmm. whereas actually i was speaking to a large charity customer of ours the other day and and their their sort of mantra was cloud when it's right um and, mm -hmm. I, and I think you know there's a realization yeah. now that cloud has its place exactly as you said gary but only when only when it makes sense <laughs> yeah it, it is it is very much that and it and it's understand it but if you don't have the i think it's back to one of the first questions that you asked us jonathan is if you don't have an understanding of your data you can't really make any decisions yeah completely and, and you know data map, mapping proves challenging for any organization and and it's really you know even well-organized businesses rarely have that centralized map for all of their data collection the data processing activity um and it's usually you know disparate bits of information around and if you don't even understand that part you know the rest of it will fall foul anyway absolutely so i guess i guess finally you know what what should uh public sector uh, customers be be looking for in a partner when they're trying to navigate this world? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that um, public sector customers, I think more than anybody else, um, should be relying on is just having that 
working with a partner who has a good understanding of, you know, some of the challenges around them. They want to be able to leverage the IP that, you know, um, partners build up by working with various different customers. So I think that that is is really important. So having that skill set is essential. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, from from my perspective, Jonathan, it's it, it's it's partners that and that have an understanding of that particular vertical, specifically around local government, for instance, that you know their challenges are slightly different to education, slightly different to healthcare, slightly different to the police. So it's understanding what that the the end users actually need from a partner. Um, and if you've got that experience where you've worked hand in hand with partners, the customers, the vendor, um, I think that's a big part to play. Um, and you can bring to bear what you've done for others in the same industry. I, th- I think that's essential, to be honest. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. So if, if I can ask all of you to give our listeners one piece of advice uh, when it comes to business continuity processes and planning, what would it be? Let's start with you, Tracy. Um, I, I'd sort of say it's all the P. So prior preparation prevents uh, poor performance. Um, so it's really about understanding, you know, what what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do that? And what, you know, what do you have already? And, and sort of what those gaps really are before you sort of embark on something like this. Thanks, Tracy. And uh, Gary? Um, I'd, I would understand what the business actually requires from it um what are they actually asking for because um it's one of those things that you can have a business continuity plan but if it's irrelevant to what your um line of businesses actually need and your director directorates internally um it's not going to give you what you need so you need to have that clear plan and to tracy's point all the p's yeah 100 percent Thanks, Gary. And last but by no means least, Sonia. Yeah, I would definitely suggest um, get the basics right first, right? I think sometimes people feel like they need to spend a lot of money on the most sophisticated technology. Um, But at the end of the day, I think if you're not doing the basic things like the patching and the updates, making that as simple for your team as possible, then even the most sophisticated technology in the world is not going to help you. Great. Thanks for that, guys. Some some really good ideas and uh, opinions there. Um, and I'm sure our nis- listeners will, will now be, you know, deep in thought around their their respective organisations and, and where they are on this journey. Um, so, you know, thank you for, for joining me today on pod. I think we got some really good content there um, and I'm really glad you could all join us today. Um, have you all enjoyed your time on pod with me? Brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Good. Yes. We'd welcome, welcome yeah, you all yeah. back. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and we hope you found it of use. Please get in touch if you want to discuss any of the points further. And if you want to support what we do, please share and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode of POD. Mm